0: Uh, Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Carrera, and I am honored uh, today to have Nora Bateson with me. Nora is uh, a filmmaker and a thinker and a teacher. Uh, She's created a film about her father, Gregory Bateson, called An Ecology of Mind. She uses it to teach a new way of thinking. Uh, And we're going to speak today about exactly what it is that she is communicating to people and why it's so important to the world. So, Nora, thank you very much for joining me.
1: It's good to be here, Jeff. It's nice to talk to you again. We always have great conversations, so I look forward to um, seeing where this goes. Yes,
0: I do too. And I yeah. thought that the first place I wanted to start, because we just had a little chat before we began, and you were talking about the challenge of teaching, leading, say, a seven-hour seminar, and knowing that people really get it. Uh, but then, of course, people go back into the lives that they live, and it's it's... What it is that you're teaching is so subtle, uh, and it's, it's, there aren't established grooves for it in, in our minds, in culture, so it's easy to lose. But I wanted to start with you. You know what you had said was um, people get it. And, and so I'd like you to just say a little bit about what it is that they get when they get it.
1: Okay. Okay. Um- Okay, Jeff, here's the thing. We live in a world that is so rich with interrelationships and interdependencies. And these relationships and interdependencies function on multiple levels. Okay, so if we were to look at Inside our bodies, we have our nervous system and our digestive system and our cognitive system, and each one of these systems is made up of lots of lots of parts, lots of relational pieces. Mm. And then there's the 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 outside Nora and the outside Jeff. Mm. And that person is also existing. In all kinds of systems, education systems, language systems, family relationships, um, food uh, customs, cultural relationships, traditions. So when we go to look at what it is, Mm -hmm. whichever it it is that we think we're talking about, whether Mm -hmm. it's our mother-in-law or the... The infrastructure of a city or the dog or um, a pond, whatever the it we think we can talk about is, a company, that it is not it. That it is a function of all the relationships that it lives inside of.
0: Right. Right.
1: Okay. So, when I say they get it, what I'm saying is that when we have a, a an extended workshop, it's i I see it at least as my it's an honor mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. an art and it should be in an aesthetic to illustrate the beauty and the synchronicity and the ah uh, mm-hmm mystery, the unpredictability, the the slipperiness of all those relationships. Mm. Okay? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so there's patterns in there and then there's patterns that change. Right, And there's uh, things we can say, you know, you're definitely Jeff and I'm definitely Nora. But inside this relationship the Jeff that is in relationship with Nora is a very different Jeff than the Jeff that is in relationship <clears throat> with someone in another room. Right. But you're still Jeff and I'm still Nora. Right. And the Jeff that I see and the Nora that you know are not the same as the ones we think we're projecting.
0: hmm mm-hmm.
1: So it's, in a sense, it's all very abstract. Right. And all these ideas can become very philosophical. They can become very... Um, ethereal and and it can become in a sense impractical
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I often get this question of well you know the problem with complexity is like forget it I can't think of everything at the same time obviously my brain will sizzle right right I can't take into account all these relationships at the same time
0: Right. right
1: so You know, what are you talking about, see the complexity? I can't do that.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And the fact is, it may be true that we can't take in all the relationships at the same time. Because a lot of them, frankly, we'll never see. Right. Right? Some of these patterns and relationships are taking place over epochs of time, way outside our spectrum of perception. Some of them are happening in ways, I mean, so often something disastrous happens in our life and 10 years later we say, thank God, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't see what was going on there. Right. Right. Okay. So it's true that we can't see all the complexity, but it's also true that we do more complexity than we think, mm-hmm. and every time we take into account the details, and then zoom out into an ability to see a context that those details take place in, we're beginning to deal with complexity. Mm-hmm. And we do it all day, every day. Honestly, you couldn't walk down the street if you couldn't feel complexity. Right. Because okay, you are doing so many things. You're balancing, you're visualizing, you're communicating, you're listening, you're adjusting to the weather, you're moving with the cars, you're yeah. thinking about the map, you're on your way to a meeting that you're organizing for in your mind. You're doing complexity. So we can do it. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that the patterns that we live in are patterns that are really based in a mechanical model. Right. And right. so we think of our lives and our language and our... our The, the very notion of what is practical
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: has to do with a kind of linearity. Right. That it has to fit into a world and have an outcome or a result or an action point or a that you've got to be able to Do something, right? And that something is going to be in in influencing someone or something or some it,
0: right? Right, right. Okay. Yes.
1: And and in doing that, we lose all the vision of the relationships. Mm -hmm. But we, our language does that. We're looking for solutions.
0: Right.
1: We're looking for. What's the problem? What's the root of the problem? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, if you look at what a solution is or what the root of a problem is, really what we're asking for is something singular. Right, right. And there's no... But there's no possible way of finding a singular cause or a singular solution.
0: Right, right.
1: In all those... Interdependencies and interrelationships. So that's what I mean. I okay. Can do a seminar for a while and we can really get in there and feel the vitality of a living system, but then you go back out in the world and there it is.
0: Right.
1: You're back in it and suddenly it's not somehow a possibility to interact in that way.
0: Right. Great. So So good. There's about four different directions I'm tempted to go in, but I'm gonna have to pick one. Uh, so one of the things that I, one of the ways that I speak about something similar, uh, is I explain to people or teach how during the age of enlightenment, uh, we came into a worldview Uh. and, and I, I, I like to call it things in space consciousness. Uh, You know, that the fundamental metaphor for the universe was an infinite expanse of empty space populated by things. And all of our thinking, all of our language, you know, our entire, the way that we relate to life is from within the context of things in space. You know, that the universe is populated by things that are uh, isolated and essentially separate that interact with each other. Uh, that have influence over each other and so uh, you know it's like when when you when you have a hammer you know every the solution to every problem is to bang on it when your consciousness is things in space the solution to every problem is to find out what the thing is Uh, and and i uh, the way i talk to people is are we essentially filter out all information that doesn't fit into things in space consciousness what what we know, what are what we are consciously aware of is everything that fits into and reinforces our fundamental uh, concept of reality, which is things in space. A lot of what you're talking about, a lot of the complexity, doesn't really fit into that model, and so it doesn't really make it into the past the filters of of conscious awareness. But what I try to explain to people is it doesn't mean that we're not that doesn't mean. Just because we're not consciously aware of something doesn't mean that we're not aware of it. It doesn't mean that it's not part of our field. It doesn't. So so, so when I hear you speaking, uh, I feel that one of the problems or one of the challenges people have is they try to take their current things in space consciousness and, and, and expand it to encompass complexity. But it doesn't really work that way because as you, you know, that will only expand so far and it will tend to turn everything that it touches into some kind of variation of things in space. So what's needed is not so much that, but we need to start to relax into a different sensibility, uh, that there's a, possi- there's a possibility to not necessarily understand all the complexity, but start to become aware of, the, of a different sensibility that already exists in a sense, it's already part of us, but we're not, we are in the habit of not responding to it. Uh, And so, for instance, after I saw your film about your father's work, uh, I had a a very profound experience the first time I saw it uh, in New York, which is where you were actually showing it somewhere, where as part of the film, your father was explaining that Essentially, we live in a world of relationships, not a world of things, you know, and we're trained to think to see a world of things that are in some immaterial relationship, you know, which is really a characteristic of the things. And when I left that film, and I was in the streets of Manhattan, I started to realize that I was seeing relationships. the things started to fall out of the background, you know, they started to fall, they started to recede from consciousness. And what I was aware of was the relatedness itself between things, but it didn't feel like between things anymore. It just felt like just seeing relatedness in every direction that, that the whole world was a field of relatedness, not a space full of things. And, and I just, Anyway, I just would love you to respond to any part of that, because I find it so utterly thrilling, that, that different sensibility that, that can emerge.
1: Um, I want to ask you a question. Okay. Okay. So when you were talking just now, mm-hmm. you said that we're going to have to relax into another way of seeing. Yes, something like that. Yeah. Why did you say relax?
0: Um, because the the effort of uh, I said relax because because as as I see it, the effort of trying to achieve uh, is 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 not the right energy, you know, because it essentially comes from an assumption of being an achieving thing that through some act of will will attain some other thing and it's kind of already happening all in the wrong context where to me the 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 energy of relaxing or letting go uh, allowing more of what's already here to surface is is the, is what i have found to be the more useful energy as opposed to the energy of assuming it's not here and then using some kind of act of will to to find it or create it or discover it. So that's why I used relax.
1: Okay. And I asked that because um, I think it's the right word. hmm And I think it's the right word for, for a couple of reasons, and one is what you just said. Um, another is that we basically just need to relax.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> um, period.
1: Just chill out. Um, And then another is that relaxation is at the opposite spectrum of an approach as rigidity.
0: Right. Mm -hmm.
1: And the rigidity with which our, our quantitative way of understanding our world has boxed things and set up. Even very complex but still linear relationships um, is is a product of of industry of mechanization mm-hmm. of this this kind of thinking that goes way back. Right. And the problem with this thinking is, it works.
0: Right. Very right? well.
1: That's Actually, the problem mm-hmm. is that when you're talking about relaxing into being able to see the complexity, you can't build a train right. like that. Right. You can't actually do a lot of things mm-hmm. with that thinking. But the converse of that is that you can't have a family with a mechanistic approach without really causing damage to the relationships by Mm -hmm. mechanizing them. Mm -hmm. Um, When we start to talk about how human beings have roles, my role as a mother, your role as an interviewer, this role, that role, really what we have to be very Mm. careful of is the deep metaphor of some kind of Swiss watch. Mm -hmm. in there that makes you one cog and me another. And if you just stay in your role, I can stay in my role, and our cogs can work perfectly, and the mechanism will work. Right. Okay, but life isn't like that. We aren't cogs. We're messy. Mm -hmm. And we can't really understand or predict what it is that will bring a response from you or from me. Right. And so that notion that you said of relaxing, of, in a sense, allowing flexibility Mm -hmm. to enter our understanding of the way we're perceiving. Right. Okay? Not of the way we perceive, but even to think about how we're perceiving. Can we bring some flexibility just to that point? Right. And then we're going to see in another way. Then you start to see oh my gosh, what we have here is um, it's like a template. Mm -hmm. And everywhere I go, I'm looking through this template and I'm wanting to organize the world in such a way that it will function. Like a machine, right. right? And and we think about that in terms of medicine. Okay, if we have something that is, if you have a tummy ache, you take a Tums pill. If you take the, you do that. If you do this, then you do that, and it's it's that same sort of um, mechanistic approach, which is very different than a an approach that is asking what is the context Mm. of this situation? Mm -hmm. What are the set of contextual relationships and processes that this situation is existing within? Because it is not the it. Right. Right? The, The it that you think you have, that tummy ache you think you have, is not about the tummy ache. It's happening inside an entire set of stories. Mhm. Part of it is what you had yesterday and what your mom used to feed you and what you ate and whether or not your wife screamed at you before you ate it or if you're worried about the money or you know where the process of that tummy ache coming to be is a contextual situation. Right. And you could put a Tums in and it could make the pain go away, but it's not going to give you any deeper understanding or perception of the context of the tummy ache Mm -hmm. so in a sense what we're really doing by mechanizing that thinking which we all do our language does it our schools are set up in departments everything in our world is set up in this compartmentalized mechanical way right Um, so we can't really be blamed for slipping back into the pattern of because course, we yes. all do it all the time, and we don't mean to. And we, every time we cast blame on someone, right? We're doing that. It's her fault because da 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 da. Well, what's the context? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon there is no way to really have that blame, right? Um. So. I guess this notion of relaxation is really important mm-hmm. because the rigidity of these boxes, if you will, and that's the metaphor we like to use um, to get out of the box, mm-hmm. the rigidity of that is unnecessary.
0: Right, right.
1: And um, the relaxation doesn't give you access to everything but it gives you access to a lot more. Right. And right. that's a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the answer to everything, but it makes things a little better.
0: Right. And and I guess the when when I'm when I'm teaching, I'm advocating uh, using relaxation in the form of meditation, although it could be any form. I this just happens to be one I have a lot of experience in, which allows you to let go, to relax, to become fluid, to sort of naturally expand, and then use inquiry and, and the mind when it's free from its normal habits, in order to yeah to see what happens to see what you discover then, uh, because what what I realize is that the, the habits of mind the cultural habits of mind that that what I often you know, as I said referred to as things in space consciousness. It's so embedded that even, you know, and I think this is what you're saying we will start to look at this greater complexity and this, the systems within systems within systems. But the habit, unconsciously, the background habit will be to relate to it as if it's just a bigger mechanism. Oh, I get it. The mechanism right. is bigger than I thought. You know, I get it. She's right. You know, I thought it was a a, a little three-part mechanism, but it's actually a really complex mechanism. But it, you're still going about it in in with the old grooves, and that doesn't capture the essence of the uh, of the problem because it's not just a more complex mechanism. It's actually something that's not a mechanism. It's it's a living something that exactly. the background habits of our thinking. Are so strong and so habitual that we apply them even to the new, to the new consciousness that that begins to emerge. And and the last thing I wanted to respond to that you said was the the problem with this transition is exactly what you said that the mechanistic view of the world has been so outrageously successful uh, in creating the the world that we live in. Why would anybody want to give it up? Uh, <clears throat> or, or you can imagine the fear around that. There's an interesting marketing story of the microwave oven. Uh, when it first came out, it was uh, branded as a replacement for your conventional oven. And for five years, it sold zero because it didn't do as good a job as your conventional oven for most of the things you wanted to cook. Uh, at some point, they switched the branding to talk about it as a supplement to your oven. That was better for some things, but not necessarily better for everything. Oh. And this, the sales skyrocketed. And in some ways, I, I imagine that that the, there's a problem if we if if we set up too big a dichotomy between the old thinking and the new thinking, as if the new one somehow means that the benefits of the old one are going to disappear. Because you know that's as you said, that's not true.
1: Right. Uh, <clears throat> well, I I agree with that completely and um I actually I was just mentioning to you that I just set up a research institute here mm-hmm. in Stockholm called the International Bateson Institute. And it was only after um many years of deeply considering this Mm. that I finally decided to do it Mm -hmm. and what I would like to do with this institute is to, it's very much like the microwave story you just said, you just told, Um, I want the institute to exist as a research institute outside of academia. And the kind of research that I would like to do is something that I've come to call transcontextual research. Okay. Okay, because interdisciplinary is not enough.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: All right, there's much more than interdisciplinary. There's a lot of ways of knowing in this world. Some of them are professional, some of them are cultural. Right. There's many ways of knowing, and the academy does not have a monopoly on knowing.
0: Right. Right. So
1: it's not an appropriate place <clears throat>
0: mm-hmm.
1: to, to study things if you want to be able to look at them from multiple directions. Mm. Okay, let's take an example. Let's say we want to look at um, food.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay? What is food? Well, if you study food, you could have nutrition, you could have agriculture, Mm -hmm. you could have recipes, Mm
0: -hmm. you could
1: have culture, you could have ecology, you could have starvation, you could have security, you could have economics, you could have education, you could have a lot of different aspects of that and if you would like to be able to understand how those aspects are interlinking, another kind of description Is necessary. Mm. Streams of quantitative data are not going to give us an understanding of context. Right. Period. You can't take a lot of uh, different streams of data and then add them together and think you've made it a context. Mm -hmm. That is not a context. Right. That's a collection of data. Right. Not the same thing hmm especially when you're talking about something that is part of a living system
0: right
1: um, so that this is what I'm wanting to do with this Institute is really try to work with the idea of what is our form of inquiry if we're going to start perceiving things in their relationships the form of inquiry around studying and describing That contextuality is gonna look really different Mm. and um, it doesn't fit in the model of academic papers and streams of data right it's not gonna look like that there's no department that can hold it
0: right right no that's great because I could see that if you're collecting data in the way that you're talking about then uh, ultimately you are the context is the context relates to the fact that you believe that collections of data are sort of the right way to inquire. Uh, You know, that's the context within which all the collection is happening. But that's not the only context that's possible. Uh, And earlier you said uh, you were interested in the the connection between research and aesthetic. And it caught my attention because aesthetic seems to be something that me and a lot of the people I'm interacting with <clears throat> Excuse me. are... Uh, aesthetic seems to be something that people are converging toward. That that there's an aesthetic, or earlier I used the word sensibility. It's something that's not knowledge in the in the sense of facts and information, but it's knowledge in the in the, in a in a more subtle, sensible, uh, way of approaching it. So I find myself more interested in in art as a vehicle for knowing. As a vehicle for expressing uh, much more. So you know, I was trained originally as a as a physicist. Uh, so my background is in hard sciences, and so I I learned to understand the language of mathematics and facts, and uh, and then of course got to the place where I realized, oh, physics breaks down, and that's <laughs> that's when I decided to move on. But there is something about the aesthetic sensibility and the development of the aesthetic and the whole metaphor of aesthetics. You know, I, uh, we did a weekend on using the, sen- using the metaphor of aesthetic versus knowledge or understanding, you know, to, to try to understand the aesthetics of a situation, the aesthetics of your life, the aesthetics of whatever it is you're looking at, Uh, and and how does that change, what does that open you up to that you weren't opened up to when you were more in a context of understanding and knowledge? Uh, And I found it fascinating, actually, that it just, it seemed to bring different things to the fore. It seemed to open people up and it definitely seemed to be introducing a different possibility for how we could go about the process of experiencing reality. Uh, So I'm curious more about your thoughts about the aesthetic sensibility and that confluence of research and aesthetic and what it, what it is that's driving you in that direction?
1: Well, first of all, I, I want to just name the red flag here, which is the idea that, um, I mean, when you start talking about the aesthetic and you're dealing with teenage girls that are cutting themselves or, um, militant groups that are killing people, it can begin to sound very frivolous.
0: Absolutely. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And to deal with Mm -hmm. the aesthetic seems to be something along the lines of the final polish of a, you know, sort of satisfying a champagne problem. And I I, want to debunk that Mm -hmm. quite seriously right off the bat. Um, Because the aesthetics of a situation... Are in a sense much more serious mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. than
1: the manifestation of the problems. Right. And we get so much traction and charge out of the manifestation of an issue and the, the panic, the urgency for a solution, that we forget to tend to the aesthetic. Now, let me give you an example. Um this is an art example, so it's just to, to give to pull sure. back a little bit from teenagers that are cutting themselves and mm-hmm. malicious groups. Um, if you look at a listen to a piece of music, okay, um, I can't get no satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. All right, now. If I were to ask you which part of that song is the music? Mhm. Is it the lyrics? Is it Mick Jagger? Is it the drums, the guitar? Is it in Keith Richards? Right. Is it is it because of the moment that it came out in history? Mm-hmm. Is it our relationship to that moment? Right. Is it because we feel like we we don't is it our relationship to capitalism? Mm-hmm. Where is that song? Right. Okay? So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about how do you interact with something? Mm-hmm. And when we don't know where the something is, there is only one thing to interact with, and that's the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. If we take that tune and we say, I want this tune to be sad. Right. All the pieces will change. The cadence of the voice, the 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 longing in the chords, the tempo in the drums.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: The meaning of the song becomes something so different. Right. If you say, this is, a, this is not an angry song, this is a sad song, this is not a victorious song, this is a, this is a tragedy. Mm-hmm. So what it says is something so different. Okay, right. now let's turn that around. If you're dealing with a situation that is a tragedy, mm-hmm. how do you begin to turn it, to, to work with it, So that the whole system is qualitatively shifting,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and that's an aesthetic shift. So I think that the correlation then between research and aesthetic is twofold. Um, On the one hand, it matters what the aesthetic of looking is. How are you looking? What's the, the sentiment behind what you're looking for? Mm-hmm. Are you looking for something beautiful? Right. Are you looking for something mechanical? Are you looking for something messy? Are you looking for something that's going to be statistical?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What are you looking for? So on that level, just from the get-go... The aesthetic of the inquiry itself matters. Right. Right. Okay. Now, the second part of that is what to do with this research. If we're going to be talking about complexity, I have to just ask you, is there another way to really describe a complex situation or a living form Hmm. without art? Hmm. I don't think so. I
0: can't think of one.
1: I can't even... (laughs) What what other modality allows for the multiplicity of layers Mm -hmm. that exist in art? The multiplicity of the relationships and that they can change over time and be perceived in different ways and that there's room for the thing to be alive.
0: Right. Right.
1: And um, our notion of definition is a closed concept. And so I try very, very carefully with my own language to just say description
0: mm-hmm.
1: instead of definition. Right. I was recently working with a group here in Stockholm and we had a meeting about the emergence of nationalism and fascism um, that's really global right now. Mm-hmm. Um, if we call it racism in the states, but in Europe they call it fascism. But uh-huh. it's really all the same beast, right? Um, and somebody said in the group it was a it was a closed group of of very distinguished people. What we need is a definition of fascism before we can go any further. Mm. We need to know what we're talking about,
0: right?
1: And uh, it was an interesting moment because clearly the patterns that are set for us to have that kind of a workshop of a think tank are that there should be definitions, there should be action points, there should be things that are laid out in concrete ways.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. And I remember thinking... Oops, what would really be interesting is if we could describe fascism in terms of its relationships, mm-hmm. then what would it we come up with?
0: Right Right
1: What would we find then? And this is the sort of thing that I'm working on right now mm-hmm. of beginning to form another kind of inquiry and um, way of presenting those findings that's useful because it is useful yeah there's nothing impractical about that
0: mm-hmm. no and I'm very I'm very intrigued by uh, what you're saying in terms of the aesthetic of an inquiry uh, you know because another thing that I'm aware of is that the way that we've been trained to inquire and and, and this is exactly what you were just alluding to is is an inquiry essentially is is seen as a converging activity, that you start out with a lot of possibilities, and then you keep limiting the possibilities until there's only one left, and then you hit that and you say, okay, good, now we got it, this is it. There's no more there's no more possibility for inquiry because there's no more possibilities left. Uh, oh. We we've hit the one, and and a different aesthetic would be one in which an inquiry was seen as a a, an opening activity that each each you know that that as we inquire each next discovery becomes the doorway to more possibility not less Uh, that that we see are that the aesthetic of our inquiry is one where we're opening into uh, a reality that's wider than what we have known versus that, that aesthetic of trying to nail things down—it's like you want to nail them down. And, okay, this one's stuck here. Good. Now don't move. Now we can move on, and we'll nail this one down, and you know we'll define everything and define the terms and get it all nailed down, and then we'll feel secure because there won't be any more more room in the system. Uh, and like you were saying, that's fine, except that, or you know, the the magnificent quote that I I got from your film, which you attributed to your father. Uh, Gregory was, you know, the, the greatest problems, I'm probably misquoting it, but I'm close. The greatest problems that we face uh, result from the, f- the difference between the way we think and the way the world works. And, and so that form of inquiry would be great if we lived in a world that worked that way, but we don't. We live in a world that, that's expanding in possibility all the time and growing like a living system. And so our form of inquiry needs to match that. You know, otherwise we're nailing things down, then assuming that they're going to stay that way, and then later finding out they didn't. You know, life moved on, and our thinking didn't. Uh, So, I think that this idea of an aesthetic of inquiry is is a fascinating, and really powerful uh, focus of contemplation. Well, I do too,
1: and. One of the most important aspects of it um, is uh, the aesthetic that it brings right away, which is um, to bring some humility to the inquiry.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So we aren't here to figure it out. We're here to learn more. Right. We want to deepen our understanding, but not crack the code.
0: Right.
1: There's that's okay. The code we could find a code, but we know there'll be more codes. Right. There is no it, there is no end, there is no mm. box, there is it doesn't exist. Right. So um, the very first aspect is one in which there's a different kind of humility. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. so that makes it so there's a little more consideration and pause um things that we would like to jump to and you know right now in the world there are several red hot burning issues life and death and climate change and Very serious issues. Right. Poverty and starvation and huge numbers of people losing their homes and religious wars and fascism and I mean very exciting um, challenges. Yeah challenges and the, the, the temptation to get wrapped up in the way that we would solve the problem of a railroad track to solve the problem of starvation is a disaster.
0: Right. Right.
1: And so what we're looking at, if we look around the world and we say, okay, now the problem with mechanistic thinking is that it worked really well. Well the fact is, in some ways it did, but if you look around I think there's an argument to say it didn't. Absolutely. And the kind of problems that we're trying to deal with right now, we are not going to be able to deal with without a much deeper understanding of how to interact with mm-hmm. complex living systems
0: mm-hmm. right. in
1: ways that aren't destructive. How do we really begin to understand the interlinkages and the interrelationships? Right. And there's not going to be a diagram for that. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be a formula. Right, it's right. an approach it's an aesthetic
0: that's right and you know it's, it's just occurring to me that one of the reasons why you and I resonate so well is when I started I started a blog you know in eight years ago called philosophy is not a luxury which is where right. this will air and and the exact reason why I called it that was because of exactly what you're saying that that in, in these times of global challenge, we can be tempted to think that philosophy is a luxury, that deep thinking is, is something we don't have time for because we have to take action, uh, when in fact the opposite is true, that, that reconsidering uh, deeply in, you know, in the form of inquiry and, and how we're inquiring becomes more important in the face of these challenges, not less important. It's not something we can dispense with and move on to action. Okay. Uh, it's we really need to take stock. And, and you know, I mentioned earlier, uh, before the interview, this professor at uh, at Rice University named Timothy Morton, whom I'll I'll make sure I introduce you to. But uh, one of the thing, the first thing I heard about from him that really caught my attention. Was in relationship to global warming. Uh, first of all, he refused to call it climate change, because uh-huh. he said that's just hiding the issue. And second of all, he said the most imp- the thing that we need to do now, and this was you know six or seven years ago, uh, we have to stop trying to avoid global warming because it already happened. And so we need to start to deal with the world that we've created and that takes a grieving process that we have to go through that that but but as I understood him he felt that the energy we were putting into trying to solve the problem of global warming was was really the energy of avoidance of what had already happened uh... and I found that to be a very courageous stand and and he's advocating in many ways he calls it um Big, big thinking, I think, but he's essentially meaning complex systems thinking, uh, and he's also advocating uh, literature as as a as a as a vehicle for bigger thinking, as opposed to more discursive, just uh, dis- definitive forms of writing. Uh, and and so I find it exciting that there's more and more people who are emerging into similar ways of. Uh, moving forward, uh, and, and from slightly different angles, but but with the same aesthetic quality. That's that's what I look for: the aesthetic quality of a thinker. And and then I, I'm attracted to some more than others. You know, and sometimes I don't really totally understand them at first, but they have the right aesthetic. And if I stick with it, eventually I get where they're coming from, uh, and right. it's, it is coming from the same place. Right. That's great. Well, wow, it's fantastic to talk to you.
1: Yeah,
0: too. All right. We'll, we'll talk soon.
1: Great. And Jeff, it's so good to talk to you. No,
0: it's great to talk to you, too. And I, I want to think about also what you're doing. Because one of the other things I do is I, I do uh, – I'm supporting – I support various people who have – who in different ways want to create educational forums. Mm. Uh because I, one of the other things that's driving me is I feel like our educational system is failing and and there's going to need to be new ways for people to be educated. Uh,
1: it's working perfectly for an old world thing. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: It's working perfectly for what it was designed for. It unfortunately wasn't designed for the world we live in. <laughs> that's
1: exactly the problem. There's nothing wrong with
0: it. So it I want to, I'll great. share some things with you. Um, that might help you think about how to move forward so you're not traveling all over the place all the time.
1: That would be fun. Okay. Anytime. I would love to.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. We'll talk soon.
1: See Bye. You.